right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and the riddles, the riddles of the wise. How y'all doing in IC12? Yes, you got to be doing good. So we are going to jump into week three of Riddles of the Wise. And like you got to hear in the announcement video with six foot three Andrea and Hassan or Zach Kersey. I don't even know why you keep coming up with different names, bro. It's a little bit odd. But as you got to hear from them, uh, next week we are going to be having a panel, a Q&A, if you will. If you've been around for a while, we've got to do this before. It's something that I love to do. So if you have any questions about your faith, anything that's a riddle to you, if you will, about your faith, about relationships, about God, about theology, whatever it is, we want you to ask them to us because we're going to have a panel of people up here that are going to be answering those questions and trying to give you some sense of wisdom into what they may be. So you can send them into our email, college at 12stone.com. You can also tweet them into us, and the night of the event next Thursday, we're going to be having it live. So there'll be live tweeting in of your questions as well. It's going to be an awesome opportunity. You're going to want to invite your friends. It's going to be great, I promise. But what we're doing in this series is diving into the book of Proverbs. And by looking at Proverbs, trying to extract the wisdom from those lessons and apply them to our life. And apply them to our life in every element of our life. So in week one, we talked about boundaries. Boundaries in dating, boundaries in relationships, and finding the healthiest possible relationships within those boundaries. And then last week we got to hear, uh, for the first time ever at C12, a talk on finances. And we talked about provision and trusting God. And so Robert Morris talked to us. And what I really want to do in this series is try to give you the most wisdom that we can, right? Pull the best wisdom from Proverbs we can and give it to you. And so one of the ways that I want to do that is by bringing in people that I find extremely wise. Now, Many of you may have someone that in your life you would consider to be a mentor. Now, a mentor is someone who can provide wisdom to you, who you can get out of their stories, things that will help you unlock your story. And really, mentoring is the story of Proverbs. It's Solomon writing this wisdom and giving it to his son, and now all of us can apply it. But you can have mentors that aren't even necessarily people that speak to you. Right, like the book of Proverbs, you don't open it up and it's like, hello, this is Proverbs chapter 1. Let me tell you what you need to know now. You don't have to have the voice. You can Sometimes you can read something, but sometimes you can watch someone. And so tonight I want to bring in somebody that I've been able to watch over the last two and a half years. And he has no idea that I would even consider him like this. But uh, I don't know if I've ever even told you this, homie. But I absolutely consider the guy coming in tonight to be someone like a mentor to me because I've been able to watch him. I've been able to watch him lead in ministry. I've been able to watch him be a husband. I've been able to watch him be a father. And I've been able to watch him do these things in the next season of life. So I just turned 30. He's on the back half of 30. And so a lot of times, oh, I'll totally call you out. That's right. Because I'm feeling old, so it's fine. Um, But a lot of times you can look at people that are in the next season and learn from what they do. So what I wanted to bring in tonight was my friend Dustin Agard, who... Come on up here, man. Uh, See, he doesn't like that I called him old. He's bringing weapons. You need to stay back. Trip, can you come protect me, Trip? Come on, Thor. I'm a little bit nervous. Um, 
But now Dustin is the student pastor, is the next-gen pastor on our Hamilton Mill campus. How many of y'all came from Hamilton Mill? Good. Some of you did? Okay. Um, and this is one of the joys that I've had in ministry. One of the greatest things I've gotten to do is uh, before I got to kind of lead here at C12, I was leading the middle school ministry at Hamilton Mill, and I got to hand all of that off to Dustin. And one of the greatest visions that I had while I was leading middle school is that one day we would have 150 students attending in that middle school ministry at Hamilton Mill. And when I handed it off, I told Dustin, like, dude, this is going to happen. And now it's happening. And so I've watched Dustin get to take what was started a few years before and take it further and farther and faster than I ever could. And I've been able to watch him give wisdom. And so tonight, Dustin's going to be giving you all some wisdom of a, of a message of what he would speak that, that I'm going to learn from, but also that you can learn from of something that he would give to his child. So I'm going to walk off and quit talking and let him talk. But y'all give it up one more time for Dustin Agard. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. This is actually my first time ever at C12, so it's an honor and, and a privilege. And I want you to know um, what you have in Pastor Matt Hayes is, is something special. As a matter of fact, I believe the reason that God is doing incredible things in this ministry is because of him and his faithfulness. You see, if you're faithful with 30 or 40 or 50 middle school students, let me say that again. If you're faithful with 30 or 40, 50 middle school students, and you're not complaining and you're content and you're shepherding them, then sooner than later, God's going to give you hundreds of college students. And I believe that it's his faithfulness that has led him here. And one of the reasons I believe that we've been able to excel so much in our middle school ministry is because of the honor that he gave on the way out. And a lot, of, a lot of young people don't know how to give honor when they leave a job or when they leave a ministry or when they leave anything. And the way that he left Hamilton Mill and gave me what was his baby, gave me his ministry, is very difficult. And he did it with honor. And it springboarded our middle school ministry, I believe, years ahead if he would have just walked out, even didn't even say anything bad, just walked out like any other normal person. And so one of the things that I love to be able to do when I go around is uh, Matt's not going to necessarily say certain things about himself um, or do certain things. But I'm going to ask uh, that we do two things. One, Matt, where are you at? Come on over here, man. We're going to um, we're going to Matt is never going to get up here and say, um, you know what? I would love it if y'all just prayed for me. That would just be awesome. And so he's probably never or maybe you do that every week. I don't know. But um so this is what I know you're going to stay right here because you're really tall, and I don't like that. Okay, so you're going to stay right there. And I hated that video. I think that was horrible. That was messing with my people, and I just didn't like that. Um, so this is what I, I would love for us to do. God has, has given him an anointing and a, and a vision for this ministry. But every time I read Scripture... Um, every time somebody calls out a leader, there's always a group of people that come alongside and, and buy in and believe in and support and minister and pray for and uphold that leader and that leader's vision. And so I'm going to ask specifically for the men, some of the men to come up here. I don't care who it is. And we're just going to lay hands on him, which is in the Bible. We're going to pray as men of this ministry, we're going to pray for a blessing on him, a fresh anointing on him, a fresh vision on him, fresh leadership on him. We're going to have a, a time where we just pray over him. And you, you could be seated. You could be a woman. I don't care where you're at, who you are. You can um, pray uh, where you're at. 
however you want. And, and men, I just want there to be a concert of prayer just out loud right now as you feel comfortable. You go ahead and pray, and then afterwards, uh, I'll close us in prayer. God, we come before you, and I pray for my brother, Matt. God, a, a man that you made in your image, a man that when you think about him, you smile, a man that you love so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on a cross for. God, I pray that you would fill his cup so much right now that it would overflow. God, would you give him more of your presence than he's ever experienced? God, would this season be the greatest season his life has ever experienced? God, would you give him the greatest leadership, the greatest capacity? God, I pray for the greatest amount of time he's ever spent with you. I pray that you give him a, a love for your word like he's never experienced, a love for your people like he's never experienced. I pray that you would give him fresh vision. God, I pray that he wouldn't be able to sleep certain nights because he's broken for the vision that you've given him. And God, I pray for a community of believers would come around him, continue to come around him, and that they would continue to carry this ministry. And God, I believe that this ministry is just getting started. And God, I believe that the people in this room are going to take it to another level. But, God, we're going to be foolish if we're going to think we're going to do it on our own willpower. It takes your spirit. It takes your vision. It takes your anointing. Yes, and so, God, we pray for that, and we pray for that right now. Would you, would you bring that, and would you allow Matt to be the leader of that? Yes, God, I, I know he would humbly raise his hand if, if he was able to just say, God, I, I want to be used. But he's not, gonna, uh, he's not out of uh, pride going to just kind of force his way because I know the type of humility he carries. And so, God, I pray for an Isaiah 61 anointing on him, God. God, that you have called him, that you have anointed him, and you have appointed him for this time and this place. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. 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 So uh, for the sake of uh, my conversation with y'all tonight, I am going to uh, call this ministry just college. I'm going to call this phase of life just college. Um, some of you are going to debate with me and say, well, I'm not in college, and well, I this, and I graduate. I'm just going to say college because saying college and young adults, every time I say the word college is going to get annoying. So um, I know when I was in college, uh, they were, I was a strong uh, Christian and I did some of the dumbest things I could ever imagine. Matter of fact, my very first time, I can't believe somebody would rent me an apartment, first of all. So they rented me and my best friend an apartment without our parents, without supervision, without cameras. And so we decided to play a game uh, that we invented. We invented a lot of games in our apartment. One game is we had a, um, a, a chair that swiveled. It just kept going around. And we had the real metal darts. And so what we did is we had a dartboard, and we would just get dizzy. And about 20, after it spent, you know, 20 times, then you could throw the darts. And the rule was the people watching had to be in the room. So, like, they could wear a helmet, but they had to be in the room. And so we are spinning as fast as we can, and, 
And uh, literally within about six months, we, we counted over 10,000 holes in, in the apartment, just in that room. Not on one wall, because, of course, they're on every, you know, every wall, ceiling, everything. And after about being there for two weeks, we were like, yeah, we're not getting our deposit back. Let's just, let's just make the most of it. I remember one time I came home from, from college, and uh, uh, the fire department was there. And I'm like, that's never a good sign when you come home with the fire department at your house. And uh, my college roommate was my best friend since third grade. Literally, we, we were inseparable, and so we went to college together and still talk to this day about once a week. And so I came home, and I was like, bro, they, the, the fire department was leaving, so they didn't even talk to me. I'm like, bro, what happened? And he immediately, I don't know if, I don't know if some of y'all are like this, he immediately turns it on me. He's like, where have you been? I'm like, I've been in class. He's like, well, this is all your fault. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I've been in class. What happened? And he goes, well, you were supposed to be home an hour ago. I was like, I don't know, man. I was in class. I don't know. What, what happened? He goes, well, man, I, got, I was waiting on you, and I got bored. <laughs> so what did you do? Well, I started a fire in the kitchen. So he started this fire. He had gas and newspapers and all kinds of stuff. And this is in St. Augustine where there are original hardwood floors, and, and it's up, and you can literally see the ground if there's no floor. And so he kind of takes this concoction, and I said, well, what happened? He said, well, I started a fire, and then it got really cool, and so I just started watching it, and it got really big. <laughs> and I didn't know how to put it out because I didn't have any shoes on, and so I just watched it burn a hole in our kitchen floor. And it's all your fault. I'm like... Like, come on. Literally, it was a floor. I'm like, man, we're definitely not getting our deposit back. And I remember college not only being some of the dumbest times and, and some of the craziest times, but I played baseball in college. And every single Monday, we had a team meeting that was mandatory by the captains. And I remember, this is an honest, true story, the only thing we did, the only thing, the team meeting, we didn't have video, we didn't watch video, we didn't talk about sports, we didn't talk about baseball. The only thing, it was Monday afternoon porn. That was it. It was Monday afternoon porn, mandatory on the baseball team, every Monday. And so I know college was some of my most fun years and exciting years and friend, but it was also, man, in high school, I don't even know, I don't remember talking about porn, and now here I am in college, and, and I'm being forced to be in a house where there's porn on. I'm thinking, man, things just got real, real quick. And so I know the world you're in, and you're probably thinking the same thing. You're thinking, man, I'm not in high school anymore. I'm 21, 22, 25. Some of y'all are just trying to sneak in, and you're 38. It's a little awkward. <laughs> just trying to be real. And so y'all are in this deal. We were talking about Proverbs. And uh, I, I think Proverbs uh, is a book from a father to a son. And the way I kind of like to think of it is, do we have anybody here that likes Chinese food? I love China. Come on. Oriental J and Hamilton Mill. Mm, got me. Okay. So Solomon is writing this to his son, and the way I like to think of it is he must have just loved Chinese food, and, and he, every single time he would eat Chinese food, he'd get a fortune, and then he'd read it, and I, I, over his, the span of his life, he must have just collected all these fortune cookies, and then by the end of his life, he said, you know what, I got all these fortune cookies, and I have all these fortunes, I'm going to write a book with all these fortunes, and so that's kind of the way I view it. If you've never read Proverbs, that's how it is. It's literally, it's, it's the original Twitter feed. It's just uh, 140 characters, line by line, but every single tweet that it has is absolutely golden, every single one, and so what I want to do is, Pastor Matt asked me to come and speak, and he said, hey, I want you to come and, and talk about one proverb. I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. You know, Proverbs is one of my favorite books. I said, I'm going to talk about three. And the way I'm going to do this, and I asked him, and so he said it was okay. 
uh, for me to talk about three. What I want to do is I have three kids. I have a son named Riley. He's in sixth grade, a daughter named Callie Joy. She's in fifth grade and a uh, daughter named Darby. She's in first grade. And so I got three kids. I'm going to talk to you tonight as if they just graduated high school and this is my conversation to them. And so that's going to be more the, the kind of the way this is going to work, because I just want to have a conversation. If I'm speaking as a father to a son, which is kind of the essence of Proverbs, and it's just to give you wisdom. And so it's not going to be some crazy preacher. I just want to have a conversation with you. And the first proverb that I want to talk about right out of the gate is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, my all-time favorite verse. And uh, I believe your, your deal here is called Riddle, Riddles of the Wise. Okay, riddles of the wise. I'm going to give you a riddle before we actually jump in. I want to re- read to you Judges 14. It says this. This is Samson. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it, he replied. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Now, if you go to Judges and you follow that, they actually give you the answer to that riddle. But my riddle for you is this. If it was written in Hebrew, how come it rhymes? That's just my riddle for you. That will keep you up tonight, Okay. So Pastor Matt knows the answer to that. Um, go see him afterwards. So if it's, if it's written in Hebrew, how does it rhyme? And it actually does that about six different times in the Old Testament, and I can't figure it out. So Matt's smarter than me. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God, and he's going to direct your path. This is by far my favorite verse my entire life. I've, I've read this verse more than any other verse. I've highlighted this verse over and over again. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a band called Sixpence, None the Richer. Does anybody know who that is? couple people, couple ladies in the house, okay? Sixpence, None the Richer. They have a song that this entire verse is played out in very, very beautifully. You go on Spotify, just type in trust, reprise, and you'll be able to find it. Uh, it was played at my wedding. This is my favorite verse. Every dark season of my life, I, I have a vivid picture of not only this verse, but me being rescued by God in this verse. I mentioned that I played baseball, and I had two older brothers, and that's all we did is play baseball. And so I, I began to realize, man, I really like baseball. I want to I maybe play later on in life. I want to play in college. And so I had a dream to play in college. I ended up uh, going to Liberty University and playing baseball there. And some Liberty fans, yeah, come on, yep. And I ended up playing uh, baseball. That was a recruited walk-on, which means I wasn't good enough to get a scholarship, but they, they were interested enough to recruit me and, and said, hey, we're not going to give you a scholarship, but we got a spot on the team. And so I went and played at Liberty University, and it was actually my dream because, to me, Liberty is the Harvard of student ministry, and I knew I wanted to do student ministry, and so I just wanted to dive in. And I love baseball, so it was a good fit. And, and I remember I went there in the fall, and I, I had a great fall, and everything went good. And then all of a sudden, this kid transferred in. Nobody knew about him. He wasn't recruited, and he was a freshman. Everything about this dude was better than me. His mom was better than my mom, okay? You know what I'm saying? Like, everything about him was better than me. And so, uh, and so the way it was, he was a freshman. I was a freshman. We had a senior that was starting, and my thought was, man, when the senior graduates, I'll be able to play three years. And uh, all of a sudden, coach called me in to the office, and he said, hey, listen, um, I just want you to know you're doing great. We got, you know, so-and-so, and we're going to actually, um, we're going to keep him on the roster, and we're going to redshirt you this year. And I had to explain to coach who I was. I was like, my name's Dustin Agard. Do you know who I am? You don't redshirt Dustin Agard. 
And so he and I got into a little disagreement, and the disagreement was I thought I was good, he didn't. And so we kind of went back and forth, and so he wanted to redshirt me. And ladies in the room don't know what that means. That means uh, you're on the practice team, and you're going to skip a year. You're basically on the bench. And so I'm thinking, man, this is not how I envisioned my college baseball career going. And being young and naive, and I didn't have any patience, and so I started praying about it. I said, God, what do you want me to do? And so I ended up transferring to a school called Flagler College. Has anybody ever heard of Flagler College? Flagler College is literally the greatest college in the nation, okay? So some of y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. It's at the beach, people, okay? So um, it's at the beach. I literally went surfing with three of my professors on a regular basis. Um, It's absolutely incredible. You go to school in your board shorts. You don't even have to wear a shirt, literally, just board shorts. It was awesome. So I went there, and out of 55 baseball players, I was literally the only Christian out of 55. The year before, there had been a lot of baseball players arrested and kicked out of the school because they had just crazy parties. They gang-raped some girls. And, and the scene that I was walking into was dark. Literally, it's the first time I ever would tell people I was a baseball player, and they, they would just, a lot of times, they would kind of, they would encourage athletes, like, they, you did not mention that you were a baseball player because they would just get looked down on. And so I'm walking into this scene, and I have my sophomore year, and I have a great sophomore year. I ended up playing and doing a lot. Liberty's D1, uh, Flagler was not, so I was able to, to do a lot better there. And after uh, my sophomore year, during the summer, I was interning at a, at a church in Texas, and I ended up tearing my Achilles tendon. And your Achilles tendon takes about nine months to heal. And so now it's July, and I have nine months, so now it's going to eat into my junior year. And at this point, I have aspirations to go to, to play professional baseball. I did not say that I would do it. I just had aspirations. I didn't say I was good enough, but it was a dream. So now I have this injury where I'm backed up nine months. And I have surgery, and through surgery and through rehab, we start to realize, you know what, my, my ankle still hurts. You know what? My ankle still has problems. And so we get into looking at it about eight or nine months in and realize that the surgery actually was not successful and I had to have another surgery. Ended up taking three surgeries. I was in a wheelchair for six months and on crutches for 18 months. What was supposed to be my college baseball career. My sophomore year was the last time I ever played baseball. And I remember thinking, I'm out of baseball field. I know this to some of you might seem weird, but... I literally didn't love anything more on this planet than baseball. I love God more than baseball, but I didn't love anything more. And I remember thinking, God, why in the world, why would you bring me to Flagler College to play baseball and then allow me to get hurt? And he led me to this verse. He said, Dustin, if you would trust in me with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding, I'm going to direct your path. And I said, well, okay, I I trust you, but what in the world are you telling me to do? I can't even play baseball. You brought me here. I'm the only Christian out of 55 people. What in the world do you want me to do? And because baseball in college was my life, now I didn't have any friends if I wasn't on the team. And I'm like, God, what are you doing? He says, I need you to trust me. Maybe, Dustin, I didn't bring you here to play baseball. I said, well, what did you bring me here for? He said, maybe I brought you to change the baseball team. I said, that's not going to work. None of them even like you. I was like, that's that's not going to happen. I said, first of all, I'm this new kid. 
I'm the smallest kid and I'm the hurt kid. It's not a very powerful time to be influential. And God said, you need to trust me. He said, what I want you to do for the next two years, I want you to act as the chaplain while I just do this. Which made it really hard for me because it, it hurt just being around the game. And so long story short, there was one summer um, before my junior year, kind of that summer that I got hurt, this girl named Christy came up to me. And she said, hey, Dustin, um, I, I, she was a believer. She said, hey, my, my boyfriend's Andy. He's an atheist, but I, I just, can you and I pray every single day that God would get a hold of his life, and then let's come back in the fall and see what he does. I was like, that sounds great, Christy. Let's do it. And so she prays every single day, comes back in the fall. She's like, hey, did you pray every single day? I'm like, no, I did not pray. I don't even think I prayed once. Like at that time in my life, I had like an atheist had a better prayer life than me. You know what I'm saying? And so it was not good. And I felt horrible. She's like, you didn't pray? I was like, no, but she's the most upbeat girl. She's like, it's okay, I prayed. God's going to do miracles on this team. I know it. I'm like, all right, great. And about two months later, her boyfriend Andy gave his life to Christ. You see, Andy was actually the most popular person on the campus. And when he gave his life to Christ, Andy and I ended up connecting really well, and we started a Bible study, just the two of us. And then about six months later, the captain of the baseball team came up to me. He was All-American. He played pro ball. His name's Chris Barnwell. And he said, hey, can we go out to dinner after practice? I said, sure. And we sat across a table at Sonny's. In front of everybody, I saw him with tears in his eyes. And he said, I don't know what you have, but whatever it is, I want it. And right there in Sonny's, the captain of the baseball team gave his life to Christ. In a span of two years, which was my darkest hour, we saw over 30 people give their life to Christ on the baseball team. We saw about 50 to 60 people. We got rid of Porn Mondays and turned it into a Bible study that 50 to 60 baseball players and girlfriends ended up attending every single Monday night. And this is what I want you to know. This is not, I, I, I've never shared this story since I've been here. I don't share that story often because I, I, I don't want the attention on me. This is why I share that story. It's, and, and I wrote it down. It's the closest thing I've ever experienced to biblical revival in my whole life. And it all started with God ignoring my plans and inviting me into his. You see, you and I, guys, you got to understand, baseball was my dream. It was my everything. And right now, many of you have an everything. Right now, you have something, and God's asking you and I to lay it down because he may have something better. And in that process, it's hard and it's difficult. And, and he asked me to lay it down possibly before, and I may have not have listened. And so he said, I have a way of making people listen. I have a way of actually always winning, and it's okay, Dustin. And it ended up taking an injury for him to do what he ended up doing. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways, and he will direct your path. Every single step of faith that you and I have to make, every single one that he calls us to take, will require trust in him. Every single one. I heard a couple weeks ago y'all had an open baptism. Mm. Who got baptized? Come on. Hey, I don't know about y'all, but yeah. We tend to celebrate baptisms. I heard about that. A every single person that got baptized, you know what they had to do? They had to do Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. No matter where they were, every single person that got baptized, they had to take a step of faith. Last week, y'all talked about uh, finances. 
every single person in this room that has tithed, you have to take a step of faith. You have to trust God every single time he tells you to do something. Every single one of you that began a relationship or end a relationship that God told you to, you had to take a step of faith. And every single step of faith requires trust in him. And so if I was to sit down with my kids, I would say, kids, as they graduate high school, I would say, you need to trust God more than anything. God, you need to do whatever it takes to cling to him. Trust him. Be there every Thursday night at C12. Be there every Sunday morning uh, and worship God. Do whatever it takes to trust God above all things. Trust God above money. Trust God above relationship. Trust God above anything and everything in this world has to offer. So the first proverb would be trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. The second one would be this, Proverbs 24, 16. Says this, though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Another way of saying it is, is I might fall seven times, but I'm going to get up eight. Do we have any Rocky fans in the house? Okay, Matt, what are you preaching to these people? What is wrong with y'all? That's y'all's homework. Go home tonight. I know y'all are all about Netflix. Binge watch all 17 Rockies that are out there, and then we'll talk next week about it, okay? So, so to give you an idea of what this verse is, is really all about, check this clip out. It's not about Rocky. Second thing I would tell my kids if they were about to go into college, it would be this. You're going to fall down in life. You're going to experience some pain, and you're going to experience some failures in life. I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with you quitting. I'm not okay with you not getting up. You see, I taught all three of my kids how to ride a bike, all three of them. And every single one of them did the same thing. They started out probably just like you and I, a little bit nervous. And then they memorized Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And they're like, okay, I could do this. And then, and then I would teach them how to ride a bike. They would get used to sitting on it. They would get used to the pedals. And then all of a sudden, they would, they would go, and I would kind of throw them. And, and they would begin to pedal. And they're like, okay, I got it. And then a moment comes where they're like, I don't know how to turn. And there's a mailbox. And then all of a sudden, they would, all of them would just fall over. And they would fall, and then they would cry and get scared. Dad, why'd you do that? And, and then all of a sudden, this is, the, this is the thing. All of a sudden, they, they had to regain trust in me, and we work on it. And this is the thing. I, I did not expect them to all learn how to ride a bike and not fall. I, I didn't expect them to, to ride a bike perfectly and never fall. You, you see, I don't believe God expects you and I to live a perfect life and never mess up. But God does expect us to get up every single time. You see, it says the righteous, the righteous fall down seven times. It doesn't say the world. It doesn't say the, the horrible sinners. It says the righteous may fall seven times, but they get up eight. They get up eight. And, and the one thing I hate that the enemy does more than anything is he, he makes Christians feel so ashamed that they no longer feel worthy to go back to church. 
that they no longer feel worthy to open up the word of God because they fell three or four or five or six or seven times. And says the righteous fell seven times, but they got up eight. I want us to study about a guy named Peter. Peter was one of the disciples that Jesus decided to use. And there's a, a clip that's several minutes long from uh, the, the mini-series that was out about a couple of years ago. I want us to watch this to get an idea of how Jesus and Peter, I believe, it does a good depiction of how they interacted. Check this out. need help. I'm not looking for any help. And besides, there's nothing to help with. Hey! You can't just climb into my boat. Yeah, you're right. Give me a helping hand. What do you think you're doing? We're going fishing. There are no fish out there this time of day. In fact, there are no fish out here any time of day. Peter. Just give me an hour, and I will give you a whole new life. Who says I want one? I'm telling you, there's no fish out there. How did this happen? What did she do? 
I'm giving you the chance to change your life. Peter, come with me. Give up catching fish and I will make you a fisher of men. What are we gonna do? Change the world. first thing Jesus says to Peter is, come follow me. As a matter of fact, the very last thing he ever said to Peter was, come follow me. You see, the first and the last thing Jesus says to Peter is, follow me. And everything that happened in between was Peter falling down time after time after time. He kept falling off of his bike. He's, he's taking his sword and he's cutting soldiers, which is the exact opposite of what Jesus came to do. He's coming to bring peace, and now he's doing the opposite. He, he asks to walk on water, and he's doing it, and then uh, all of a sudden takes his eyes off Jesus, and he begins to drown. Jesus calls him foolish several times. He falls time and time and time again. But what does Peter do? He gets up time and time and time again. You see, I believe that Jesus picked him to be one of his disciples, not because he was one of the most gifted people, but because he had the most grit. You see, he had uh, what I believe is Isaiah 50, verse 7. I want to read this to you, type of grid. It says this, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I've set my face like stone, like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. I believe that's why he picked him. Not because he was going to be perfect, not because he was the most giftedness, but because he was going to get up time and time again. And some of you have fallen on some hard times. Some of you are here, and you're overwhelmed with your sin, and you're not sure what to do. And God says, get up. God says, keep coming to church. Keep getting in the word. Don't let the enemy win. Stand up. Get back into worship. Keep following after me. Keep seeking me. Have grit. Have the kind of grit Isaiah 50 verse 7 talks about. Set your face like flint, like stone. There was a, a startup a while back, about maybe 15 years ago, maybe 10 years ago, called To Write Love on Our Arms. Has anybody heard of this? Raise your hand if you heard of that, some of y'all. And really what had happened is there was this girl named Renee. And Renee, uh, she was involved in a youth group. She was in high school. And she was struggling. And one day she just decided to take a razor blade. And she was going to commit suicide. And so she took the razor blade and... To her arms, she wrote F-U-C-K-U-P on her arm. And then she was about to commit suicide before she made one last call to her youth leader. And the youth leader came to her house, got her some help. And through that, they ended up trying to sell T-shirts to get her some counseling. And that's where this organization called To Write Love on Her Arms started. It was to erase that and to write love on her arms. And now it's a worldwide brand, and now it's really, really popular. And the girl, Renee, shares a little bit about this verse. Check this out. You know, what, what matters isn't that you fell, but that you got back up. No matter how many times it takes, it's that you get back up that matters. We fall down, and all isn't lost. Like, um, I don't know if I can say this, but that verse in the Bible, it talks about, in the same lines, it talks about... Um, 
it's as though the righteous man falls seven times. You know, it's, it's saying that when he gets back up, like he honors God so much. In the same sentences that he he's fallen down seven times, he's calling him a righteous man and how honoring it is. You know, like if this was easy, where would be the honor in that? Like, where's the satisfaction? Like, what would it mean if he didn't have to work for it? You know, so there's there's a lot of value in the fight. You know, it's worth it. The godly may fall seven times, but they get up eight. What I didn't tell you in my baseball story was how dark my life was. And that was a very difficult time for me. As a matter of fact, I made an appointment with the doctor. It was not a joke. It was very serious. The pain in my leg was so bad, and it was lasting so long. I made an appointment with the doctor to figure out what was the process to possibly amputate my leg. It was that, that dark. You would sit here today and say, that is the dumbest thing I think I've ever heard of. And I would say, you're right. I think it was. But, but I was in this dark place, and I was for a season not getting back up, and it was spiraling downhill. And some of you are doing the same thing. Some of you are making doctor's appointments and asking things in your life to be amputated, and you need to just spiral uphill instead of spiraling downhill. As a matter of fact, I, I believe what, uh, and I put this in my notes, God loves to turn our greatest trials into triumphs and our misery into our greatest ministry. Let me say that again. God loves to turn our greatest trials my college years, our greatest trials and the triumphs and our misery into our greatest ministry. And I believe when we tend to claim that, we begin to understand God. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, man, it's easy for you to say, get back up. You, you had an injury. You don't understand some of the mess I've been in. You don't understand the decisions I've made, the life-altering decisions I've made. And I want to read to you some of these people in the Bible that maybe you can relate to. Noah was a naked drunk. Jacob was a liar. Moses was a murderer. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. And Martha worried about everything. If you don't fit in that category, you fit somewhere in there. My encouragement, if you were one of my kids, would be, listen, when you go off to college, you're going to fall. But I want to encourage you to keep getting up. Keep getting up. Keep going to church. Keep getting in the word. So that's the second thing. Proverbs 24, 16. The third thing is Proverbs 6, 6. Proverbs 6, 6. And if there's any, uh, if there's any verse that you may uh, get defensive on, it's going to be this one. Uh, and I'm just going to let you know, I, I believe that your, your generation uh, struggles with something called entitlement. Uh, meaning I don't need to work hard for X amount of years. Something should be given to me. I should be handed something. And, um, and there's a, a, a huge belief in your generation, I'm not saying you, but in your generation as a whole, that what, what my parents currently have, I should currently have as well. So, so what my parents, it took them 20 or 30 years to, to work for, I in my 20s should currently have that same thing. I should be driving something similar to my parents. I should be living in something as nice. If my, if my parents have that type of countertops, I should have those type of countertops. If my parents have that type of car, I should have. And, and it's this belief of entitlement. And so if you were one of my kids, I would sit you down and say, listen, it took mom and dad years and years and years of doing something to get to this point. And Proverbs 6, 6 says this. It says, says, go to the ant, you sluggard, you lazy person. Consider its ways and be wise. Go to the ant. So I tell my kids, listen, go to the ant and study it. And this is what an ant does. 
an ant. As a matter of fact, I, I got an ant farm, and uh, I think I have a picture of an ant farm. This was my ant farm, because when I first read this, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. No, I was like, I have no idea what ants do. So I bought an ant farm, and I'm like, what, let's see what ants do. And so this was what it looked like right before, and then uh, I got another picture, picture two. This is what they started doing. They started building tunnels, and you can leave it there for a minute. This is how they, they built tunnels. They would take uh, one grain of sand or one grain of gel, and they would pick it up, and they would come over here, and then they would put it down. And then the next thing they'd do is they'd come over here, they'd pick it up, and they'd come over here, and they'd put it down. And then the next day they'd come over here, they'd pick it up. What's up? And then they'd come over here, and they'd put it down. You see, an ant, what this is saying, an ant has a system, and it believes in the system. The system is you pick up grain, you come over here, and you set it down. And, and, and God's saying, listen, you need to be like the ant, study its ways. They have a system that over time, if you do a certain amount of things over time, you're going to be able to build tunnels. And I have a third picture, and you can check this out. So this is what they did over time. It, it didn't take more than several weeks to do that. It's like, man, I ended up taking all these tunnels, and it kept going, and it kept getting bigger and crazier. And some of us, we think, you know what, our success is more like a microwave. I'm just going to hit one minute, and the popcorn's going to come out, or, or the dinner's going to come out, and it's more of a crock pot. And if I can explain anything to your generation, it would be to study a crock pot. Real, realize how long it takes to make food. It would be. I, 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 would, I would tell my kids, you need to burn the microwave. And if you burned my microwave when I was in college, I would have starved to death. That's just a fact. It would have been horrible. Why do I wouldn't have known what to do with a crock pot? I was like, oh, cool, a big bowl. We can make cereal in this. And hey, guys, grab a spoon. Come and have some cereal. <laughs> but if I can encourage you anything, it would, be, it would be to really understand the value of a crock pot. You see, my wife makes some great pulled pork out of a crock pot. pot. And, and, it, and it takes all night and all day, which I hate because I smell it all night and all day. But then when it's dinner time, it's game on. Kids in the back, come on. Dad's up. Proverbs 6, 6. Figure out what you want to do. Start with the end in mind. What are your goals? What is your vision? If you were my child, I'd say, son, daughter, Callie, Riley, Darby, where do you see yourself in five or ten years? Where do you see yourself in 15, 20 years? Get a map, figure out what the end in mind, and start working it backwards. And stay the course. Don't take one grain over here, and then you drop it down, and you're like, oh, what's that? That's cool. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just do this over here for a couple years. And, hey, what's that? No, stay the course. Stay the course. That's why gym memberships blow out of the water in January. I have a tradition. I work out every January. That's my New Year's resolution. It's February. So guess what I haven't done in 26 days? I have a tradition. I refuse to work out in February. It's not my resolution. It's only on January with everybody else. And so we, we tend to do that. And, and, and if, if we had a goal, and many of you do that as, as athletes or people that just want to be healthy, and you know you can't just do it once a week or once a month or once a year, you got to stay with it. Same thing with Robert Morris is talking about with finances. Ron Blue's talking about finances. You can't just work on it once a year. I'll tell my kids, figure out what you want to do and work it. This is what Henry Ford says. Nothing is particularly hard if you divide it into small parts. Henry Ford. If you don't know who that is, 
I don't know what to do. John Grisham. Anybody know who that is? One person. All right. Wow. So he's a New York Times bestseller, written all kinds of books, made millions, possibly billions. And his very first book, he was an attorney at the time. And he felt like, you know what, I have a passion to write. He's never written. He's an attorney. He said, I don't even know where to start, but he had this passion. And his first book took him three years to write. Not because it took him so long to figure out. He said, I'm going to commit to one hour every single day to write. Every single day, the very first thing he did is he'd wake up for an entire hour and he would write. And then he would stop. And then the next day, an hour and then stop. And then the next day, an hour and stop. And then the next day, an hour and stop. And that discipline, he ended up writing a book. Bestseller. His number one bestseller after all of these. Aristotle says this. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. So if you're my kids, I'd sit them down and I'd say, listen, I want you to have fun. You're never going to be 20, 22, 25 again. But because of that, you're never going to be able to redevelop habits ever again either. So have fun, but realize it comes with an expense if you're not developing certain habits. And that habits is what sets apart sharp leaders and sharp people and everybody else. So develop the habits that will make you sharp in the long run. Don't neglect having fun. Don't neglect community. But be sharp. Create habits. Don't make it 100%. Make it a little bit every day, a little bit every day, a little bit every day. I'm going to sharpen myself. I'm going to be around sharp people because excellence is what consists of our habits. Let me pray for you. God, we love you. God, we thank you. I thank you for Proverbs. I thank you for how much you have literally rescued me with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And God, I believe there are some students here tonight that are thinking, man, I, I'm in a season right now where, where I would love to be able to trust God, but to be honest, I can't even trust him 10%. And what I love about you, God, is you say, give me that 10%. And you meet us at our 10%. And so, God, I pray that wherever we're at in our faith, would we lift it up to you. And that's what worship is. We're just giving it all back to you. And so, God, the student that's here that has 10%, would they lift it to you? The student that's got 40%, would they give it to you? The student that's got 99% or 100% trust in you, would we just give it back to you? And so, God, I pray that you would uh, sustain that person that is struggling right now because of some type of difficult decision or choice or life-altering event. They're struggling with trusting you, just like I was. I was a strong Christian in college, but something happened, and it got difficult to trust you. And then, God, I pray for the students in here that are falling. Maybe they're falling in an addiction. Maybe they're falling in a relationship. Maybe they're falling with just hopelessness. I pray Proverbs 24, 16 over them. God, I pray that the righteous in this room would fall seven times, but they get up eight. God, I pray for grit in this place. God, I pray for people to have the face like a stone, like flint. That, that no matter how many times they fall, they're going to get back up. And God, we can't do that on our own. 
We can't just pull up our sleeves and get back up. We need your supernatural power. We need your Holy Spirit to help us to get back up. Would you breathe hope and life into us, into the people that have no hope in this place? Would you breathe life into people that have no life? And God, when we can't get up, like a puppeteer, would you help lift us up? And then, God, I pray for the lazy people in the room, people that might be a little bit like myself, procrastinate, want to live life on my own. Would you help us to be like the ant? Would you help us to study the ant? Would you help us to learn how to be sharp and excellent with our daily rhythms and our daily routines, knowing that there's just as much worship around our house as there is in this place tonight. And may our habits honor you. In Jesus' name we pray.